Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we will be speaking with Professor Jerome Hajar, who is a CDM Smith professor and chair at Northeastern University in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. And we're going to talk about the topics of resilience and sustainability and how we're going to integrate them into structural engineering. We really kind of dug into these topics because they seem to be topics and words that are overused today sometimes or used so much, but we really wanted to understand what they mean in relation to structural engineering. And Professor Hajar did an amazing job of breaking them down and talking about how we can really integrate them. So we're excited to share this episode with you. I'm one of your hosts, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success, and have traveled the world helping engineers build their core or soft skills. My co-host is Matthew Picardle, also a licensed engineer practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and an MS in structural engineering from UC San Diego. Matt also hosts the YouTube channel Structural Engineering Life, through which he promotes the structural engineering profession to engineering students and young professionals that are not familiar with the industry perspective. Now, before we get started with Professor Hajar, this is a free show, and our sponsors help us keep it free, so we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our first sponsor for this episode, CSI. Computers and Structures, Inc. is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later in the show where I will tell you more about their great software packages and how they can help you. We also want to give a shout out to the Structural Engineering Institute, SEI, of the American Society of Civil Engineers. SEI is a dynamic community of more than 30,000 members from around the world advancing and serving structural engineering while influencing change on broader issues that shape the entire civil engineering community. And they did refer Professor Hajar to us for the interview today. We're, we're really excited about the partnership that we have with SEI. Let me take a minute to introduce our guest formally for this episode, just so you understand a little bit about his background. Professor Hajar is the CDM Smith Professor and Department Chair in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Northeastern University, as I mentioned. He is also the Director of the Laboratory for Structural Testing of Resilient and Sustainable Systems. He has served as chair of the Structures Faculty and Deputy Director of the Mid-America Earthquake Center at the University of Illinois, was a faculty member at the University of Minnesota, and was a structural engineer and associate at Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill. His research and teaching interests include analysis, experimental testing, and design of steel and composite steel, concrete building and bridge structures, regional modeling and assessment of infrastructure systems, and earthquake engineering, and he has published over 200 papers and edited three books on these topics. He also is involved at the leadership levels of many associations. I can't even go through them all here. It will take a long time, but you can definitely 
Uh, check out his resume on the show notes for this episode at structuralengineeringchannel.com. This is episode number 15. So with that, let's jump into our conversation with Professor Hajar. All right, now we're excited to welcome our guest on for today's episode, Professor Hajar from Northeastern University. Professor Hajar is the CDM Smith Professor and Chair in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. Professor, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So we're excited to have you, and I know you've done a lot of work through ASC SCI as we kind of went through in the introduction, and you know, you're really focused on the topics of resilience and sustainability and structural engineering. And so that's really where we want to start. Those words, resilience and sustainability, have probably been mentioned on a number of our episodes already, and the podcast is relatively young. And Professor, as these words become more and more used, I think it's good just to go back and, and kind of revisit these words and kind of what they mean and what they mean in the world of structural engineering. So I wonder if you could start there. Yes. So these are certainly uh, important concepts, uh, important strategies for our time. Resilience speaks about designing systems that can bounce back quickly after extreme events, for example. That's certainly one uh, definition that is quite relevant for uh, structural engineering. There are approaches to thinking about how we design structural systems that would enable individual structures to become operational more quickly after extreme events and therefore in turn contribute to helping an entire region get up to speed, become operational after an extreme event. Sustainability, from my perspective, speaks about trying to dramatically decrease the amount of energy that we use uh, for design and use of structures, the amount of waste that is created through construction and use, uh, the amount of greenhouse gases and pollution that are created through construction and use of buildings to try to help uh, preserve our raw materials better than we typically have been and to uh, try to contribute to a greener environment. And certainly the world of structural engineering plays a huge role uh, in this issue. And I'm glad that you really laid them out like that to make it clear. And to me, so if I'm thinking about this from a structural engineering perspective, if I'm a designer and I'm part of a team designing a new project or a project and I can make it sustainable and, you know, streamline it in terms of use and waste and things of that nature and making it you know, environmentally friendly, but also at the same time aiming for a very resilient design that could handle some of the, you know, potential natural disasters and things of that nature, that would kind of be what I'm striving for. Does that make sense? That does, yes. So, Professor, could you highlight some of the research initiatives that kind of relate to uh, sustainability and resilience? Yeah, so there's a lot of exciting work going on on these topics now. And certainly, I think it is going to create uh, require some research and some uh, thought and integration about different types of systems, different types of uh, construction approaches to really start to make some significant progress uh, on these issues. Just stepping back for a moment, uh, I think it's important to recognize that about 40% of all 
energy that's used in this country comes from construction and use of buildings. About 40% of all material flow, about 40% of all pollution, about 40% of all greenhouse gases, all coming through construction and use of buildings. And certainly the other parts of the civil infrastructure, transportation, industrial systems, then comprise uh, the rest. So civil engineering, structural engineering has a huge role to play here. As an example, we've been looking at, with respect to sustainability, new systems under the title of design for deconstruction, whereby we're developing systems where you can take apart buildings at the end of their useful life and repurpose the components rather than recycling or scrapping the materials. If you look at the flow of materials for concrete, for timber, and for steel, they each have fairly different breakdown in terms of what percentage of the material is scrapped after use. It's quite high for timber, for example. What percentage is recycled, which is uh, quite high for steel. And then concrete would have uh, some mix of these. But there's very little reuse going on. And recycling is certainly a great strategy, but it does require uh, quite a bit of energy. We've been looking at approaches uh, that use more modular structural systems to be able to disassemble buildings at the end of their useful life, for example, and repurpose these components, perhaps refabricating and then restocking these in supply centers, just, just as we do new components. Many structures, when they are taken down, are, are done so not because they were subjected to an extreme event, uh, but because functionally they are no longer of use. And this is where there could be uh, some major opportunities for the future. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done to understand some of the issues on these systems, aging of the materials, documentation of material strengths, understanding the flexibility of being able to use different types of components for future buildings. But we think there's a lot of opportunity here and have been able to do a lot of the preliminary research to address this. So that gives one example. With respect to sustainability, and we could talk about a few others as well. With respect to resilience, uh, one example of uh, some systems that I've been working on and, and numerous others now around the country and around the world is to develop structural systems that focus the energy from an extreme event like an earthquake or a hurricane into articulated replaceable components that are core to the structural system. So, of course, as our structural engineering community knows, the way in which we absorb the energy from major events right now is through some type of uh, material damage, typically, in our primary structural elements, uh, beams, columns, braces, wall systems. If instead uh, we tried to have minimal damage or no damage in these systems and focus the energy into replaceable components, this is an approach that can help make a structural system much more operational, much more quickly after an extreme event. One example of a system we worked on over a decade ago now, we call controlled rocking, whereby the core structural system, like a, a steel brace frame, for example, rocks free of the foundation uh, in a trough during an earthquake, for example. And then we use that motion to engage a replaceable energy dissipating fuse. And then we have vertical post-tensioning in the system to snap the structure back to vertical. Then you can pop out the old fuse, put in the new fuse, and you're ready to go again. That's an example of a type of 
system that we've developed, several of which have now uh, been built out on the West Coast. I know those systems are being used, but they're not like, uh, what do you call it, more commonplace. It kind of takes a bigger effort to get those implemented. But I mean, in terms of resilience, yeah, I, I do think that is really good system because I know a lot of the systems that I typically design, you know, they're your typical special moment frames, brace frames where they are going to yield, but they're not really replaceable. <laughs> so your building is going to be safe, but it may be permanently like leaning one way. And you can either live with it or tear the building down. But with the um, resilient systems, I've seen tests on them when they're doing like uh, on shake tables where with the unbonded post tensioning, basically all the damage goes to a specific component and that component gets damaged, dissipates all the energy. And then you take it out and then you just replace it and then your building's like good to go. (laughs) What do you think that the industry can do to... I guess, make it more commonplace or easier in the industry? That's a good question. There are certainly a number of approaches that I think we could take. Some of these have been happening uh, with increasing regularity, but I know we still have a long way to go. So first, a number of these systems essentially rely on the use of, of a stiff vertical spine. For example, if you have a a precast concrete wall, or if you have a steel brace frame that is not going to be damaged uh, during an earthquake because of the way the system is designed, then that becomes a a stiff vertical spine going up the building height. And uh, having that stiff spine there creates a different sort of behavior in the structure as a whole as compared to the way our structural design specifications are written now, which essentially rely on a story-by-story mode of behavior for the structural system and therefore the failure modes that we anticipate. This makes integration of some of these types of systems a little bit more challenging directly into the building code, uh, which is one reason why they haven't been integrated quite as quickly as the research has been going on. There are some efforts underway to try to address that. They're going to take some time. Perhaps uh, some of these might be developed more in the with design guides rather than right uh, in the specification, but that's certainly one of the reasons why some of these systems have been a little bit slower to be adopted, because the design specifications right now are not talking about these um, overtly. However, I think it's an example of where uh, practitioners, contractors, researchers can all work together to try to advance these systems. If we could start baking resilience into the design process where it really becomes core to how we think. I think we can make some significant progress with many different types of structural systems. It is a really important, I think, topic for this discussion because the examples that Professor gave there in terms of sustainability and you know deconstructing old buildings and reusing materials and also the resiliency side of it using replaceable components if you listen to both of those, it's amazing. I mean, as an engineer, that's kind of, I think, what we all want to, would love to be able to work on and work towards. Then getting to Matt's question is, you know, how does that become the normal or at least, you know, get closer to the normal? And it's like anything else, it is a process. But I think, Professor, or I believe that because these topics seem to be more common in the curriculum these days, speaking to what you do, I think that that would have to go a long way also in just 
baking in the mindset of resilience and sustainability. Have you seen that to be true as more and more kind of engineers going through their education here about these things that could help us in the future with like quicker integration? Yes, absolutely. And there's uh, numerous ways in which that's happening. First, one thing to note is that many of these systems that are being developed, both for resilience and sustainability, are not necessarily using uh, some new types of materials that are challenging to get. They're using uh, steel, they're using concrete, maybe sometimes they're using polymers, but these are all readily available. Things that we've been using, we're just reconfiguring the materials in a different way to make them more effective. In this sense, you know, there are always certainly contracting challenges for new types of approaches, but in many ways, a lot of these systems not only can fit well within many of our uh, typical procedures for constructing structures, but in addition, the engineers who have been piloting a lot of these are indicating that they're um, often revenue neutral, maybe even less expensive. If you look at a seismic system, for example, a lot of the connections that might need to be detailed for ductility perhaps can be addressed a little bit differently here if they're not being relied on for significant material nonlinearity. That's just one example. You know, I think part of what we've been trying to do at Northeastern and what I know a lot of the civil and environmental engineering department chairs have been discussing around the country, for starters, is, is building a culture of innovation into our education process, more so than is there now. Other engineering disciplines, uh, mechanical engineering, bioengineering, for example, very much are about product design and certainly architecture very much has uh, creativity and innovation forward in their mindset and in their curriculum. Civil engineers, structural engineers are certainly very creative in a lot of ways. Each of our projects uh, indeed has uh, a lot of newness to it. But if we can start to have our uh, younger engineers be more comfortable with different types of product design or with different types of integration of different components, I think that will help people um, feel more comfortable about integrating some of these different types of systems together that could start to provide us some solutions. So that's one approach that we're taking. Another is, um, I think an increasing number of courses are being taught that discuss these topics specifically and help to provide a framework for thinking about them and for designing with them. So for example, at Northeastern, we have started uh, several years ago now, almost a decade, a Master of Science in Sustainable Building Systems, which has several uh, core classes on this topic. They'll range from understanding some of the theoretical foundations of sustainability and then evolving into some very pragmatic issues related to energy and energy flow, related to the lead and other types of rating systems, related to mechanical systems, lighting systems, uh, et cetera, all through the eyes of sustainability objectives. And we often have structural engineers who are joining this master's degree, and they'll take several of these courses along with some graduate structural engineering courses. This helps them think more fluidly about these processes and these opportunities, really, as they move forward in their design. And I would like to think as we become more comfortable with these various types of options and as the design codes perhaps advance and as we increasingly recognize some of the challenges of, of keeping things the way we have been doing them, that this will all 
start to come together. To that point, Professor, I don't know a lot about what's required of engineering colleges and universities in terms of their curriculum. I know there's an ABET accreditation, but is there a way that kind of on a, a nationwide or beyond that scale that we can try to ensure that these courses or these concepts are getting into engineering curriculums far and wide? So in terms of requiring these types of things, I'm not sure I have a clear response on that. I think the importance of these and a variety of other related topics are really becoming apparent to a lot of the faculty and to a lot of their advisory boards. We have a great industrial advisory board uh, here at Northeastern. They very much are feeling the need and the interest uh, with their own work, with their own clients, to be able to scale up their understanding and integration of these types of issues. From my standpoint, the importance on these topics is significant enough that that sort of a minimum ABET requirement is not really addressing it and not really sufficient. I think that you know, giving programs the freedom to really think about how they want to emphasize this is already leading to a lot of good solutions. One thing that I can say is that, you know, from my standpoint, at least, the department chairs around the country are actively talking about these issues. They're talking about the importance of them. They're talking about how they're integrating it into their curriculum, certainly how they're integrating it into their research. I think a more important approach then, for example, thinking about ABET is to think about what's happening in our professional societies, think about what's happening in our federal government on these topics. If we can really spur research through federal government, through industry support on these topics, uh, then pragmatic solutions will be developed. And if we continue to get uh, increasing support from our professional societies and give structural engineers a forum to discuss these issues and try to think about where there's great opportunities. That's what's really going to drive this. And uh, I think the students will be quick to follow on issues like this. Yeah, I know it's becoming more and more uh, important, like these issues on sustainability and resilience. And for me, I've never taken any like uh, sustainability classes, you know, during my master's, but it is something that you hear all the time now that I'm working in the industry. I think more so with the, the architects and sometimes MEP. So I feel kind of left out sometimes because <laughs> it's, you hear it, but as a student or uh, as a former student, once you get into the industry, you're kind of like, huh, I haven't really taken classes on that. But I know there are like uh, lead classes that you can take to or get certifications, but I know it is becoming more and more relevant to the industry and as structural engineers I think taking a class on sustainability and resilience can definitely help. In terms of all this uh, technology, uh, what about data? Is there anything like uh, that you see or the vision of how data is being used for maybe like uh, building deformations or even data acquisition? Kind of like with all the, you know, since data is such a big thing nowadays. Yes, uh, very much so. And, and let me say first, and I understand what you're saying about how structural engineers, many of them might feel with respect to what is their place on these topics. And, and I would like to uh, continue to encourage that our place is, is right at the core of these issues. Just because it has historically over the last decade or so not felt that way, does not mean that it shouldn't be that way. 
I think we are on these topics in our infancy. I think we are where we were with the National Building Codes in 1919. And, you know, the first AISC specification came out in 1923. That's where I think we're at. And if you look, for example, at the work in life cycle assessment, which is an important topic that underlies our ability to understand, for example, what approaches uh, might really be saving energy, might really be saving uh, material, might really be cutting down on greenhouse gases. These are complex topics that are relatively early in their research and in their application to structural engineering principles. So, for example, as we start to think about not simply material selection, but where are our materials coming from? Where is our labor coming from? A whole range of issues that all play into this. Right now, a lot of life cycle assessment approaches necessarily are a bit generalized because in part the data is not accurate enough and there's such a, a volume of issues that have to be addressed that it's difficult to encapsulate them, especially to bring them to the point of a, a specific project. But this is one area where issues such as big data can come into play here. As we gain more and more information about civil and structural engineering processes, the making of steel, uh, the making of concrete, transportation issues, labor issues, globalization, and where what are we getting domestically, what are we getting globally, all of these issues play in. And uh, I would love to see uh, continued research on these topics, really be able to start to measure in a method that's, I would anticipate, much more sophisticated than what we're able to do with weed right now, to be able to start to make some real advancements on these issues. I think data on the entire supply chain for structural systems, it's a huge area for research and where we can make a lot of progress. Certainly, there has been a good amount of work on monitoring of use of buildings and to some extent monitoring of some material flows that can be helpful. I think with respect to instrumenting for the purposes of health monitoring or, or structural engineering, certainly there's been a lot of work over the last several decades, always room for some uh, new research in these areas. As one example, if we're able to advance more towards use of articulated fuses, having some advanced sensors on these to really understand after an event what their status is, could be potentially very beneficial. I'll also say there's been a lot of advancement, and I've been doing a lot of work on this myself, on topics such as use of robots and for inspection purposes. For example, unmanned aerial vehicles. There's an increasing amount of discussion on use of robots in construction. There's certainly an increasing amount of uh, discussion on use of modular systems in construction. And a lot of these can uh, have key aspects of data that would underlie the control mechanisms and interpretation mechanisms for all of these types of systems. I think there's a lot of room for advancement on these topics. Professor, back to kind of what Matt said before and trying to put ourselves kind of in the shoes of a lot of our listeners that are practicing structural engineers that maybe didn't have access to sustainability or resilience information or education when they were going through school. The courses may not have been as common as they are now. I mean, they may be thinking, this is great. We do think this is important. We hope to help integrate some of these topics into our design, design guidelines. What can 
structural engineers do to help this? I mean, they may not be in a position of research or things of that nature, but what can they do themselves to contribute in any way, shape, or form? There's a variety of things that can be done, and it would start if a person feels like it's not being integrated well into their practice right now, then perhaps uh, this starts by doing a little bit of reading or attending various sessions or seminars or webinars on these topics to learn. Certainly, the professional organizations increasingly are putting out information on this. There are documents directly related to uh, sustainability and resilience for structural engineers. These are starting points for thinking about some of these different approaches. Everybody can help uh, sort of create a groundswell on these topics, trying to encourage the professional societies to stay premier on these topics and to drive discussions and innovation. Certainly, uh, working with industry organizations for funding of these topics, working with federal government for funding on these topics. This will help to create new ideas. There are technical committees and other types of committees through professional organizations that structural engineers can join if they want to be more directly involved. And I'm sure some of these committees would welcome new members. So that's a way to get directly involved on a national scale and perhaps on a regional scale. And Matt, you know, you as a practicing engineer in the structural world who had some of the sentiments you had before, to me, it would sound like based on the fact that we've only done, I would say, a small number of episodes in this podcast and these terms continue to come up, it would be important to get educated on these topics. Like you said, Matt, whether it's taking a course, attending a couple of sessions at the next conference you go to, and really what it sounds like, Professor, is getting involved in your professional associations can really help to support the development and progress on some of these new initiatives. And I'll just give a quick shout out to ASCE Structural Engineering Institute because they did refer Professor Hajar to us for the interview. I know just from being connected with SCI and Matt, you and I were at the conference. It seems like these are things that all structural engineers should really do just in terms of developing themselves and then helping the profession develop. Exactly. Because it is, I mean, it's a constantly changing, ever-evolving profession. And if you're just stuck in your cubicle all day, <laughs> I mean, you're not really going to know what's going on, what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the research, and where things are going to be in, uh, who knows, 20 years. We could be designing everything with uh, resilient structures or modular and all these things. So just keeping up with this, that's why I think it's really important you know, to get involved, such as like going to these congresses, such as the SEI Congress. And I do think, Professor, one of the things you said early on in the interview was really, I think, a big takeaway, especially for me, in that kind of the world of civil and structural engineering, when you think about some of the biggest challenges that the world is facing in terms of the environment and other challenges, the fact that our industry can play such a big role in the mitigation or solution of some of these challenges, to me, just reinforces the exciting career that this can be in our industry. That's exactly right. I think this is a major issue for our time and um, gives so much uh, opportunity here for thinking about new approaches, thinking about new systems, not necessarily radically new, using the materials that we understand within the construction practices that we understand basic issue that perhaps some of the engineers can do some self-study on if they would like is how to do 
life cycle assessment, how to use some of the tools that are available out there, and how to start to integrate into your own practice so you could get some understanding about the different types of choices that you're making. And maybe that might help uh, to shift some of the ways in which we're thinking about things. We can use the old adage of think globally, act locally. I think that can apply to what we're thinking about these issues as well. All right, Professor, you spent some good time with us here. Before we let you go, and before we wrap up here, what are some of the things that you're working on? I mean, I know you work on a lot of things. You're involved in it with a lot of the professional associations. Is there a specific type of research or a project or something that you're looking at right now that you're working on quite a bit here currently that you'd like to share? Yes, I could talk about a couple things. And, and certainly um, a large amount of my work uh, for the last decade has been on these topics, often integrated with earthquake engineering or with design of systems for hurricanes. Just as an example, one thing that we have been working on for a number of years is to understand the behavior of floor diaphragms and steel building structures better. And this would be for high seismic zones to understand the distribution of forces in these systems during an earthquake better to help inform the way in which we do the design. But as part of that, we hope to look to integrate uh, some of the types of solutions that we discussed earlier into diaphragm systems to help cushion a little bit the diaphragm versus the lateral system, perhaps see if we can get some significant improvements uh, in the overall performance of these, help to try to mitigate distributed damage in these systems for more extreme events. So that's ongoing work uh, and one example. Another example of ongoing work that I think is going to become increasingly important for structural engineers is to recognize that their projects are set in the context of more complex urban environments. And a number of the issues of sustainability and resilience necessarily are going to need to integrate what's happening around their project. We are working on a project, for example, to help make the emergency healthcare system more resilient after hurricane and storm surge in an urban coastal region. And the structural engineering work that I've been doing is being integrated with work of uh, network engineers for power networks, communication networks, industrial engineers who are looking at material supplies and labor supplies uh, for structures that can really impact the emergency healthcare system. And so the interdisciplinary nature of the work that then might start to inform some of our own designs or some of the decisions where we start to identify really what some of the critical structures might be differently than we have in the past. I think this this kind of work is going to continue to increase and impact some of our own projects out in the field. Once again, Professor Hajar, CDM Smith Professor and Chair at Northeastern University in the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering. Professor, thank you for spending some time with us here. Everything that you're working on, it's very exciting and there are things that we need in the industry and we appreciate you coming on and just, you know, providing some more information around these topics. And there's certainly an open invitation for you to come back on to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast as you have any updates in your research or with any of these initiatives. And we really appreciate it. Thank you. I'd always be happy to join you.
Well, we hope you enjoyed the conversation with Professor Hajar. It's important that we dive deep on the topics of sustainability and resiliency because they are talked about so much, and we really want to understand what they are, how they relate to structural engineering, and how they can be integrated. And I know sometimes the frustrating part of these topics or these processes of getting them integrated into practice is the time, right? As Professor said, it takes a lot of research, a lot of partnerships, a lot of back and forth to make it happen. But one of the positives is the performance-based design, which we've covered in several separate episodes before this, that performance-based design can allow us to implement some of these newer initiatives before the code has actually been changed. Of course, going through certain processes. So that's one thing that I think is important to highlight here. Because for me, as an engineer who wants to make immediate change, all this stuff is great, but I know that there's a process we have to go through. So remember, there are things that you can do, as Professor mentioned, and there are avenues like performance-based design that can help us practice some of these things more immediately than having to wait. Before we wrap this one up, I do once again want to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. CSI produces five primary software packages, SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, ETABS, SAFE, and Perform 3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools that are tailored to different types of structures and problems, allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP 2000 is intended for use on civil structures, such as dams, communication towers, and stadiums. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures, such as office towers, apartments, and hospitals. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering powerful performance-based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available, backed by a company with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meet the ever-evolving needs of the profession. You can learn more about them at csiamerica.com. Once again, I hope you enjoyed the episode for today. We will be listing all the show notes and some of the topics that we discussed at structuralengineeringchannel.com. Look for episode number 15. You will find a summary there of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And please don't forget to get in touch with us about topics that you want to hear or guests you want to hear from. Again, you can go to the website structuralengineeringchannel.com and put in a request. Until next time, we wish you all the best in your structural engineering endeavors.